Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education, bringing you part three, the last of a three-part series where Dr. Barry LeVay interviews Jeff McGubbin uh, about his uh, tenure as a APE professional and uh, expert in higher ed professor. So I really, really, really enjoyed this uh, podcast, this last one. He talks about his experience as an administrator kind of like, you know, the things that, how he got into it, the skills he kind of had to become an administrator. He talks a little bit about how being an APE professional, being within a marginalized field, uh, sometimes kind of helps us uh, develop the skills to be administrators, even though we might not think about that. Uh, he talks about, they, they talk about a whole lot of things in this one. I really think it's wonderful. They talk about the importance of uh, PEAT programs as administrators that, that need to advocate for those PEAT programs. They talk about uh, kind of like the vision of physical education within this episode and how PE fits in public health and, and how to train uh, future doctoral students and, and the importance of research, quality research in our field. And so they just talk about a whole lot of things. And, and you know, Jeff even talks about how to retire correctly within this one so even though this is only a 35 minute episode that they talk i felt like they hit a lot of really key important pieces in this one and it was a really great experience having dr levey kind of lead these discussions so i was really really happy um to have to have that collaboration with him and dr bittner uh, who helped to, re- to do some of the editing as well so this is the last episode on that i hope everyone had a wonderful thanksgiving break and uh, we're going to have a few more episodes very shortly. I have them already recorded, ready to go. Uh, we have one that's going to be with an, a professional who runs an adapted golf nonprofit. And then we're going to have Dr. Yell from the University of South Carolina, who's a special education legislation expert, come in and talk about the law and APE. So with that, I'm going to let Dr. LeVay take it from here. We're here for part three with, with uh, Jeff McCubbin, and he's going to be talking about his uh, background as an administrator, which I think is important, and we haven't had a lot of um, administrators on the podcast, but we're also going to talk about some future considerations for Pete and Adaptive PE. In part one, we discussed um, Jeff's journey and his professional development, the the path he took uh, while he was studying APE, and in part two, we discussed his university teaching research. Um, In that part, he really gave some really good insight and some good strategies for young faculty who are um, working to get tenure or to who want to work in, in higher ed. So we're going to really uh, dive in here to um, his uh, thoughts as an administrator and, and then future considerations for Pete. Okay, Jeff. So, so as I understand it, while you were at LSU, you got into administration and you served as an associate dean and, and you also was an interim dean. Um, was that something you planned or did it just happen? I think sometimes it's, it's interesting how people get into administration or why they get into administration. Maybe some thoughts about yeah, that. The, yeah, the, the why is a really good question. Um, <laughs> because, uh, it's, uh, so no, I, I had no expectations uh, as a faculty member that I knew that I wanted to be an administrator. Um, whether that was an associate dean or whether that was a dean or whatever it could be, 
it was really uh, opportunity that came forward at times where um, uh, was interest and you know and with credit to you Barry this past week you communicated with me with uh, that the chancellor of the CSU system Tim White um, right uh, where it, he's part to blame for all of this uh, and Tim was a mentor for me at Oregon State University uh, and uh, he was uh, college that I was part of um, and when he was the dean when I became a full professor so that was a critical goal for me in my academic career is uh, heck no I don't want to be an administrator department and I just want to get to the rank of professor which is sort of the uh, the top rank for a faculty member, and um, and so Tim was the dean at the time, and he he actually this is the truth. He walked up to me, congratulated me the day I that he was informed, and said, "Your congratulations, you're a full professor. Now will you be my associate dean for research?" I mean, he didn't even catch a breath between, um, mm -hmm. and so uh, it, it's his fault that I ended up in administration, uh, and I say that with tongue in cheek because I. Uh, learned a lot from Tim and, and valued his uh, leadership before he went on into uh, other uh, leadership positions. But of it, uh, with uh, Tim in particular, Tim, Dr. Dr. White in particular, yeah, is that he, uh, uh, six months after I became uh, associate dean for research at Oregon State, he became uh, the interim provost at Oregon State, and I became the interim dean. So it, it wasn't even a, a search process for that. I just stepped up and stepped into that additional leadership role. But to be honest, I found out that I could be effective in uh, as an administrator, at least I thought I And part of that was in, I believe, really had to do with some of the cross uh, disciplinary training that adapted physical education teachers and professors have to have in order to be uh, effective at their work. Uh, and I also believe that uh, communication skills around uh, collaboration are critically important for leaders to have in administration. And so uh, there are a variety of people. John Dunn is an extremely good example of somebody who uh, had good communication skills, good collaboration skills, and was able to uh, understand the multidisciplinary approach. So John was a department head and associate dean, went to become a provost, and then finally university president. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, he is one who has done effectively well in, in their leadership and administration. Um, so I had no interest initially uh, it happened when I became promoted to full professor, and because I had skills, and then I um, could I do this or not? Uh, and the biggest challenge for me at Oregon State University was I continued to gain more responsibilities for college-level administration, and wanting to continue to balance between keeping our movement studies and disability program funded. That's what it was called at the time funded um, and graduate students there and being an administrator became uh, pretty challenging. Uh, the amount of time and energy I had to do to, uh, so my teaching and research became nighttime and weekend and uh, any of the, the other full-time administrative stuff. So uh, splitting those responsibilities is not easy. Um, right. frankly. 
frankly, I wouldn't advise that for anybody. Uh, but I, I do believe that um, the there's an underlying skill set that adaptive physical activity specialists develop that can often lead to uh, effective uh, administrators. Um, but it requires good communication um, and the ability to collaborate across uh, disciplines. Yeah, I think not only uh, the listeners that are in higher ed, but also the AP teachers, um, you know, working with your principals, working with your superintendents or whoever, um, those are important, um, especially from an identity, you know, to we have to, a lot of times we suffer from an identity crisis in adaptive PE. And so we, we really understand how to collaborate. We know how to work a, across a number of different, um, within people from different disciplines. So I, I think that's um, important. And um, I was glad you mentioned some of those, some of those things. Um, because I think even teachers sometimes don't realize uh, some of the skills that they have that would help them advocate uh, for our profession. And I think that's the key that we have to keep advocating. And that brings me to the next issue, you know, is that one of the things that a number of us, I know, Jeff, we've talked about this um, in the past. In recent years, there's been a real a decline in PEAT programs, with some being dropped from, from Kinesi uh, departments. And obviously, this has ramifications for AP professional development. Um, and, you know, one of the concerns I have, too, is sometimes I think uh, if you look at the literature, PEAT and AP don't always uh, communicate together. Are they you know, they're not always uh, publishing in the in the same journals. And so, uh, you know, from your perspective as an administrator, what would, advice would you give to higher ed professionals who are listening about this whole, you know, this decline in Pete and what, what we can do about it and how we can advocate? Yeah, boy, that's a, that's a multi-pronged uh, sure. uh, challenge. That's for sure. Um I think one of the most important things that we have to continue to do, both in physical education, teacher education programs, and uh, specialized areas within adapted physical education, is produce really high quality graduates that go out and make a difference. Um, mm -hmm. And I think there are uh, remain too many programs that are. Um, too many programs in higher education where the quality factor gets lost. And in higher education right now, it's really challenged because of enrollment dollars, uh, the en enrollment pressures, not the enrollment dollars, but the, the enrollment pressures for um, getting students to come to a university and to graduate from a university. And uh, the real challenge that we have is uh, how do we grow our programs and maintain the same quality if we don't have enough faculty to really supervise and, and continue to have high expectations for our students. So I, I think that there is a, a quality factor that we have to agree to that there that continues to be a challenge for physical education. But I also believe that we have a uh, an underlying um, challenge as a field of physical education to demonstrate the importance of the work that we do. Right. Um, I, I have been frustrated at times in our 
uh, overarching strategies for trying to identify why we matter, uh, we in physical education, why we matter, and it, it actually has been a little bit cyclical. Um, I would be one to continue to advocate that we need to demonstrate the lifetime, lifelong health implications for our students, the importance of participation in physical activity and the continued engagement and impact that has on life. Uh, but one example that um, our field has chosen, uh, and our field beyond physical education, teacher education, but even in exercise physiology, has chosen, um, well, not recently in the last year or two, but in the last five or 10 years to try to show all the importance that we bring to changing academic related skills. That if you can get your kids on their, on their one foot or balancing better or running more, they're going to have uh, improved reading skills or improved math skills or whatever. Uh, and you're old enough, Dr. LeVay, to remember back in the 70s when uh, that too was sort of the in vogue thing to do is to try to figure that out. And then we realized, well, that's not the right approach. But trying to find an identity and but to maintain why we're important to mathematics or reading skills uh, and that's what physical education brings to the table, I think, is barking the wrong direction. Uh, and I think what we do is really uh, should retain a health focus. Uh, and I would like to believe that if we would have better data on uh, the children that we train uh, or effectively teach in the context of a, a quality physical education program, that their, um, their health and their quality of life would be improved. Uh, and that's what, that's what we bring to the table not, um, uh, that's my opinion. Uh, and I think that the, um, and yet funding agencies uh, like NIH and others got all excited about funding uh, the academic skill orient, oriented physical activity stuff. And, and some people have uh, been successful in trying to attract resources, uh, funding resources to uh, make that happen. Yeah, you know, and let me divert a little bit if that's okay. Um, Sure. You know, one of the challenges we have in the, as an administrator, as a department head or dean uh, of other faculty, uh, the critical importance of being uh, able to attract extramural funding. Uh, we'd like to believe, wouldn't it be nice if all the academic programs had sufficient resources to grow and develop with what's available from the university budget? And that just isn't reality today. Um, right. And I believe that... Um, the work that we do in adaptive physical education is important and critical, and we have to be able to uh, attract resources to help make that happen. And sometimes those resources can be philanthropic, that people give money because they like the program. Sometimes it can be local partnerships with uh, industry or foundations. And sometimes it's through uh, soliciting uh, grant uh, proposals or developing grant proposals for federal agencies. Uh, and I, I think that, our, you know, I was actually trying to flip through my CV to see if I actually wrote it down. It was probably about 10 years ago, Dale Ulrich and I, um, at the North American Adapted Physical Activity Meeting, uh, presented uh, uh, together uh, to talk about what our field was missing was um, good science. Uh, and, and that good science doesn't have to be... Um, 
science related to physiological or neurologic function that's related to doing quality work uh, in our areas. And I, and I think that you know, I started this uh, discussion about the importance of quality of physical education teacher programs and, and our, our graduates. And the same as we look at our PhD graduates, that we have to create or have to prepare doctoral students to realize that if they want to be successful in higher education, they're likely going to need to attract additional resources to their program so that they can mm -hmm. fund other faculty, other students, or enhance their program in ways that they wouldn't otherwise. And I, I think that um, the skills of grant development, grant administration, and require you to have good working knowledge and, and scientific uh, uh, theoretical approaches to what you're trying to do. And I think our programs have um, have not have not been as effective in doing that as I think we uh, could have or should have. Uh, very few of our PhD students who have come out of the adaptive physical activity area have been successful going after major federal research grants. Um, and uh, I don't want to start naming names who have been successful because undoubtedly I would make mistakes in doing that, but I do believe that there, there are a handful of people that have been um, successful uh, and I think that's in part part of the a training gap that we might have in our in our PhD training of adaptive physical education that we have um, trained a lot of people who are really maybe effective in the classroom and training teachers. But I think the scientific side of uh, adaptive physical education remains a little bit light. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so as I look at um, a potential downturn in PhD production in this area in the United States, how are we going to address that in, in a positive way? Uh, and I think that uh, when I was finishing my PhD, I'm guessing there were eight or 10 programs in the United States that were training PhD students. Um, and I think there are fewer than that now um, that are that are funded uh, uh, programs. Uh, you probably can get PhDs at more places, but those programs that are growing and developing, because some programs have, have pretty much uh, gone away. Um, and not to point fingers, but I'll just use a couple of examples. Barry, you went to University of New Mexico for years, right? right? That had a lot of doctoral students, and I don't know if they're doing, yeah. I'm guessing they're not preparing no. doctoral students anymore. University of Georgia, uh, years ago had multiple doctoral students coming out of there and i don't think that they are in the area of adaptive physical activity anymore um and uh, and so there's multiple examples like that and again i'm not trying to point fingers at, uh, at places university of utah has prepared doctoral students for years and i understand that's uh it's a program as people retire is not going to to continue and that's unfortunate um so anyhow the, and part of that is on us as a field of not creating enough science that we could uh, fund our students. And, and part of that is on um, uh, our, our efforts to prepare people might not have been focused enough on, on why grant funding is critical and how you could be successful and, and how you can grow programs. It's not about just having the grant. The grant is only there to help you grow and answer program. I better, so, I better stop there. 
Right. You, you said a lot there. Um, one of the things I think that I really agree with, you know, is as a profession, the unique contribution we make is physical activity. Like at, at first, what you were talking about is our identity is providing physical activity, movement. That's our unique contribution. And we should be proud of that. And we, we don't have to defend that by, you know, trying to look at other things, but you know, that I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Um, the other thing is you're talking about training, um, you know, uh, doctoral students that have strong research background. And, and I guess one of my questions to you would be um, because of your interest in public health and disability populations, uh, what areas do you believe AP professionals need to be investigating? Like, what would you, uh, if you were sitting down with young faculty and talking to them about uh, public health and disability, um, what what would you say to them about what steps they need to take, or or maybe what they should be investigating in that area? Yeah, I uh, I think. Um, and I alluded to it uh, before that the an MPH degree creates some opportunities for our uh, students to understand policies and practices at a, a larger scale level than a gymnasium or a rehab center. It helps us look at factors that influence how communities need to provide supports in, in directions that are um, broader than um, what I think we have too often focused on. And whether that's laboratory-related research or gymnasium-related research, um, I think the, the scale at which we uh, encourage change um, is different from a public health perspective. So what I've learned from being involved in in programs in public health is that the equity issues of access and opportunity are really the same uh, for people who right. have disabilities as they are for people who live in poverty or people who come from underrepresented groups in certain parts of our country. Uh, and if we're going to make a difference on a larger scale, I think we have to do it in concert with the equity and inclusion uh, responses that are bigger than children, uh, and again, I, I'm trying to, children with autism as one example, is if we look at equity and opportunity in educational programs or employment, those are um, some of the most critical factors that influence health. And how does physical education in its context and in collaboration with public health programs and practices, how does that, how do they work to uh, partner, I think is, is right. a critical direct that we have to uh, address, that we haven't yeah, we, done that uh, effectively. Um, and so that, uh, and why that's the case is, I don't know. Uh, and so that's my perspective. I, I would like to think that, um, and if you look at some of our major programs in physical education and exercise science, um, some of those are moving to colleges of public health. Um, right. Oregon, Oregon State is an example. University of South Carolina is a good example. University of Maryland is a good example. Uh, those are tremendous uh, programs, all three of those that I mentioned. And there are others. I'm, I'm just uh, 
but those are examples of where the exercise science programs have moved into colleges of public health uh, that attract a different student to do different kind of work to do um, uh, to look uh, a little bit broader at barriers and uh, and factors that uh, continue to constrain poor health issues. Right. Unfortunately, we can look at the data today that we could 20 years ago. People who live with a disability have poor health, have higher risk of mental health problems, have uh, more alcohol and tobacco-related issues. Uh, they have obesity problems. They're inactive. And so uh, we have not made impacts on those critical health indicators. Um, and, and partnering with others who have that same value, I think, is critically important. Um, right. So, yeah. So we should be collaborating with, like, within our own department, exercise science, faculty, and public health people, you know, that are probably in our college. And, and when we're trying to write grants along this, this line, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, real important. And, uh you know, or just the idea of access to parks and, and recreation and some of the work like Tom McKenzie does where he's really looking at, do they even have access to facilities? And so yeah. I'm sure those are all important points. You know, Jeff, one of the things I wanted to do is I want to end on a positive, you know, real positive note. Um, what would you say excites you about higher ed and the future of higher ed? I know you recently retired but you know, just like a lot of people who are close to retiring, there's there's things about higher ed. You go, wow, this is this is really exciting, and now I'm, you know, retiring. And I know you'll still be involved, but what could you share about that? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm excited about lots of things in higher education. I'm excited about the uh, the continued growth of you know, if we look at our programs in physical education and exercise science and health-related fields in general. That's the direction that programs across the country are growing in enrollment numbers. Now, that creates a, a bit of a challenge for us, but what we're doing related to health has changed. And so um, the enrollment of high uh, numbers of students in exercise science or kinesiology or physical education programs continues to, to grow. And, uh, and I think that that's a positive thing, uh, right? And how, how do we use that to our advantage instead of um, saying, oh my gosh, we can't, we can't uh, teach any more classes or we can't assure that students are getting uh, degrees. But I think that our students uh, do not, it, we're not doing the, um, our students in higher education a favor by helping them uh, only understand the context of what goes on in the gymnasium and how to manage behavior in a gymnasium or how to teach more kids skill development in the gymnasium. It has to have a broader context. So I'm excited about higher education and growth in health areas overall. Um, I'm challenged as um, enrollment declines. I, you know, I wonder uh, how higher education is going to change in the next 10, 20 years, but I do think there's an, you know, 10 years ago, people would say, well, do you think this online learning is going to go anywhere? Um, and it has, and it will continue to change academic, the way universities work by how they tr provide training. And I'll, I'll 
bring it up as an opportunity, perhaps. Barry said, um, if we look at enrollments in online training programs, um, and I don't have the data in front of me at the moment, and I apologize for that. Uh, the, en the enrollment growth in kinesiology programs is remarkable, but the enrollment growth in online kinesiology related programs is no. Uh, and so, and I'm not talking about full bachelor of science degrees for teacher education that can be done online, because I realize there's many things that cannot be done online. But I'm saying that certification programs, specialty programs, uh, ongoing professional development programs, and perhaps even to some degree, master's degree programs uh, could be created, but they haven't been. Um, and, and I'm not an, I'm not an informed um, zealot around distance education, but I, if you look at the, how our enrollment has changed in uh, programs in exercise science, kinesiology broadly defined, um, there has been pretty much zero growth in the online uh, areas. And, and in fact, uh, I'm going to be part of a, uh, I was asked to coordinate, frankly, uh, and I'm uh, putting in a plug for the uh, American Kinesiology uh, Association meeting in Tampa, Florida, that's in this coming January, where we're doing a pre-conference workshop on uh, distance delivery and kinesiology, basically. And what are the barriers and opportunities and what could we consider? Because how we teach online is totally changing. The ability to have uh, additional forms of technology, uh, and it's a problem to be able to watch people teach, right? Uh, and have their faculty members watch them online. That's uh, That stuff is, is growing. And so that's one area where there's some possibilities. I don't know if it'll, it will work well, but um, I have uh, invited some really good people to participate in that workshop in Tampa uh, in um, late January. Uh, but that's just one example of, uh, of an opportunity sure. that exists for kinesiology. We could say, yeah, that's not for us. We've got to these. We got to see people face to face. We've got to be in the classroom in the gymnasium. And and if we do that and all the other programs, including engineering programs and others that are very hands-on are choosing to, to go in this direction. So I think online instruction is gonna have a place in higher education and kinesiology could probably say, yeah, we can do it or no, we can't. And, and I think that's ahead of them to uh, make that decision. Again, I, I don't want this to sound as uh, kinesiology must do this, but I think we have to have a, a genuine conversation as to what part of kinesiology can in fact do this? Uh, uh, do this being uh, teach uniquely and differently than we have been in the past. Because uh, so, frankly, other yeah. programs are, are figuring it out. Right, there, there's a place for for online, there's a place for social media, you know, and, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, is there, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience that we haven't discussed or something you'd like to share? Or maybe you could tell them about your future retirement plans. And uh... <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not sure people are care at all about my future <laughs> retirement plans. But the, uh, the things that I, uh, I guess I would share is that um, being part of a professional 
Association, International Professional Association, uh, has been uh, a tremendous highlight for me. I have chosen to continue to be involved in um, the North American uh, Federation of Adaptive Physical Activity. I think that there's some good leadership within that organization. And I will say the last two or three presidents of that organization have actually been from Oregon State University, but that uh, that's not why I'm promoting that. Uh, what I'm trying to do is to have people try to look broader than what we uh, often uh, get uh, swept into doing and, and seeing what uh, uh, impacts of international views can help us uh, think differently about what we do um, uh, in the United States. Uh, sure. So I, I would encourage people to, to reach out and, and be involved in different directions on a whole host of different things. Um, my, my decision to retire uh, was uh, mostly personal from the perspective of, I just want to try to live uh, differently than being um, fully engaged with work uh, seven days a week uh, and the role of the dean uh, for my lens or at least an effective dean is you need to be uh, able to do that and and I couldn't figure out how to uh, do my job well and spend less time doing it and I just decided that it would be fine uh, create a great opportunity for me to uh, see and do different things but because uh, we get there's so much to learn and uh, that's what I'm excited about in terms of my retirement. There's a lot of things I want to do, a lot of places I want to travel to, um, and a lot of programs I want to uh, learn more about. So uh, I fully expect that I will engage in our profession in the years to come, perhaps consulting to various universities or programs. Um, I will be involved, and in, I don't know if the announcement has come out, uh, and I don't mean to have but this would be another interesting thing. A new doctoral training grant uh, was just approved probably in the last three weeks. Um, and this doctoral training grant will be a consortium of multiple universities um, across grants. Um, uh, the host university now will be uh, East Carolina University. Uh, Jun Koo Yoon is the project uh, director, uh, but there are multiple universities involved. And if I, I don't have it up in front of me, but I do think it will be an exciting thing to link to your website, uh, Barry, because um, this is a new, this doctoral training grant is five times the size of any, this is a new competition that went at, and so, uh, I know Oregon State will be involved in this, Ohio State, Texas Women's University, University of Delaware, uh, East Carolina University, uh, Old Dominion University, and there's more. Uh, and so the exciting thing is it will be a, a, an enormous collaboration um, to train new doctoral students in the area of adaptive physical education, adaptive physical activity. And I'll be involved as a consultant on that project but I think it's an exciting new project that probably hasn't uh, hit the presses yet. Uh, and so um, JK Yoon at East Carolina he, uh, would be the contact person for it, but uh, they were just notified a couple of weeks ago. But this is an exciting new thing. It's, it's funded somewhere around the $6 million level for five years. Um, uh, and so uh, it'll enable the training of multiple students around the country uh, in a collaborative approach, which is pretty cool. Uh, 
That's great. Yeah, we'll um, we'll make sure to uh, Scott like contact your game. We can put something up yep. on the podcast. Yeah, I know we talked about that this summer. That that's pretty exciting, and that's a yeah. A, a really positive and fun way to end the podcast. Like that's a real positive thing for our profession, and um, that's great. So Jeff, um, I, we, you know, I speak for everyone that's listening. We really appreciate you sharing all your insights with the audience and being on what's new in Adaptive Tea. We want to wish you all the best, and to both you and, and Debbie and and. Uh, uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and, and sharing some your uh, what you know what you've learned over the years. So thanks so much. Great, Jeff. well, you bet. I was happy to be part of it.